Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 151 of Yoga Land. Today's episode was recorded at Love Story Yoga in San Francisco in front of a live studio audience. It was during Jason's module two of his most recent teacher training at Love Story. We took and answered questions from students who were participating in that training. And I asked specifically for questions around the topic of content marketing or digital marketing. So that's what we take on today. And it's the first time Jason and I have ever talked about this. You know, it's really not a business oriented podcast, but I am a content person and I do a lot of this for Jason and we all have to do it for ourselves these days. So we thought, why not have a conversation about it? And it's was one of my favorites. I thought it was I thought it was really interesting and I hope you do too. I also wanted to mention that Jason mentions the dates for the 2020 Love Story Yoga training modules, but he doesn't actually say what the dates are. So they're up on the Love Story Yoga website. You can go to lovestoryyoga.com, click on training, and then scroll down and you'll see Jason's 500-hour advanced vinyasa teacher training dates for 2020. And just FYI, they are February 24th through March 7th, May 11th through the 23rd, July 13th through the 25th. You can take the modules in any order and you don't have to take them within one calendar year. We know how difficult it would be to take six weeks off of work in one year, although some people do it. But if you can't do it, that's fine. That's why he repeats the trainings and he also repeats them in different locations so that if you need to take one training in San Francisco and another in London, you can do that too. It's really flexible. Okay, without further ado, enjoy this conversation. Hi, Jason. Hi. How's it going? Good. You are in module two, end of first week, right? And no, almost. It's Friday. We're recording oh. this Friday. Uh-huh. So we have one more day to complete, and then that will be halfway. Yeah. But yeah, it's module two, and it is a fine group of yoga <laughs> They're all here watching yes. us today. Yes. Can I do like quick shameless plug? Sure. The dates for next year, 300-hour training, the dates for next In San modules, Francisco? In San Francisco, yeah, are established. I don't actually know if registration is up and going at lovestoryyoga.com, but the dates for next year – Module one is in February again. Module two is in in May again. Module three is in July again. So it's happening. And if registration is not already open, it will be open soon. So why don't you sign up for our newsletter if you haven't and you're interested in the trainings. And as soon as we know the exact dates, we'll send them out. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. All right. So today we're going to talk mainly digital marketing questions that have come in from this group that is before us right now. And something that we haven't done on the podcast before, but that you and I have navigated and thought about a lot, especially over over. the past few years, because it's just kind of all ramped up so much. It's ubiquitous. It's something, it's digital marketing is now an inherent part of the job, if this is a full-time job. And for some people, they love it. For some people, they're a natural to it. But for most people, there's some struggle, if not outright tension. And I will say that I'm one of those people. I think that I've gotten good at elements of it, 
but it's not something that I prefer to have to do. It's not really in my wheelhouse either, but can I offer my sort of off the bat first approach for when it's difficult to think of yourself as a marketer? Don't think of yourself as a marketer. Some people are really natural marketers, but if it doesn't feel natural to you, instead of thinking of it as marketing, think of it as storytelling. And so, so when you're creating any kind of content, you're basically just trying to tell the story of who you are or tell the story of what you believe or tell the story of why you teach a certain way. And that will make feel a lot more genuine usually. I mean, it is genuine. And I think the best kind of marketing that, you know, especially in our field that's most effective is thoughtful and genuine. Yes, I agree. I think something along these lines too, right, is you want to think about yourself as not necessarily trying to sell yourself, but trying to help communicate the value of having a consistent yoga practice. And so if you ask me to sell myself, I'm going to struggle with that. But if you ask me to talk a little bit about my perspective on practicing or my perspective on teaching or what I think are some of the the value of doing this discipline for a long period of time, I'm, that's a very easy conversation for me to have. Right. Yeah. Another way to think of that is to think about what kind of problem you can help people solve. Yeah. So you know, if you're teaching in a live setting, you're seeing your students all the time and you're seeing the things that they struggle with. So being a problem solver is people love. And that's just another great starting place for creating any kind of content is what am I good at solving for people? How can I help them? I'm going to bring in one more thing and then we can start to go a little bit through the specific questions and, and bring on that, right? And you are a direct part of this. I've talked about this in public classes, uh, not public classes. I've talked about this in teacher trainings a lot. And I may have even referred to this process at some point in our podcast, which is I remember the first time that I wrote for Yoga Journal and it was an article on Triangle Pose and you were the editor. I remember at that time thinking, man, this is so difficult to write this content because I'm not a writer. And so what I needed to do was I needed to be able to translate my experience of teaching triangle pose and practicing triangle pose in a live setting to the written word. And so for me, I'm always really thinking about the same thing when it comes to digital content. And I actually think that having good content is good marketing, right? And so I always think to myself, as a yoga teacher, what am I currently focused on teaching? What are the either the sequences or the concepts or the challenges or the themes that I'm working with in a public class? And then using those and essentially repurposing that content and those thoughts in micro edition. Mm-hmm. So I think about my social media page as just It's a truncated expression and a little piece of teaching that usually doesn't start there. It starts in the yoga room because the yoga room is the place that I feel really natural and comfortable developing content. And then I try to reuse that content. I'll give everyone a quick tip too, which is if I'm teaching something and I either say something or I come across a concept or some 
scenario in class that I feel like, okay, that's actually pretty important. As soon as class is over, I'll write it down. I'll write it down as a little note. And then I will use that to, at some point, compose some Instagram missive and then try and connect to it. So I'm always starting with the place that I feel is is actually my wheelhouse and then figure out how to adapt that to a different environment. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So those are our top line tips that we hadn't even prepared. I guess we're good. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to read the first question, which is from Amy. Can you read it from there? Peters. I can. It's amazing. It's a little bit challenging, but okay. I don't want to get too far from the microphone. I can barely see that there's a computer there. Amy says, my business focuses mainly on attracting clients for private sessions, often just starting yoga. And these clients don't necessarily desire their progress highlighted on social media. In a world saturated with social media, what types of ads and how often do you recommend posting to attract and not intimidate these types of clients? Please also share your thoughts on how to integrate into the current algorithmic activity. Oh, if only I had all of the algorithms at my fingertips. I don't because they change so often. Let's forget the algorithm now. Yeah. Because no one knows what it is or how it changes. I'll start with that, which is if we kind of think first in general about numbers involved in different things. If I'm going to try to make the majority of my living on public classes or workshops or trainings, I need to attract a lot of students. I need to have a fair amount of students in order to scale that financially. If I'm trying to mostly develop a private clientele base, I don't need nearly as many students. I need fewer students, but I need to establish a program for those students to do probably multiple times per week with me over time. So when you're developing content, you don't, in this scenario, you don't have to think about, oh my God, I need a ton of engagement. I need 900,000 people to like this. Probably what you really need to do in this setting is focus on what you identify as the benefit of what does a student get in a small setting or in a private setting that they just simply cannot get in a larger group class and then create content that reflects that value so people realize like, oh, I never knew that if I'm struggling with this pose and that pose. I never knew that if I had this discomfort or that discomfort. I never knew that if as a teacher I was struggling with this, that I could actually have direct private consultation with an expert that might actually be able to help me troubleshoot this thing, right? Once in a long while when I do a private lesson in a different setting, in a non-yoga setting, it's always because I have something specific that I'm wanting to address and I need the specialization of that teacher. I need I need eyes on me in a way that just isn't going to happen in a public class. And so creating content that is geared towards those ends without and while also realizing that you don't have to have this like mass public appeal of, you know, the beautiful photo and the beautiful place with the beautiful Walt Whitman quote that is inevitably going to get a lot of people to like it. You need things that 
reinforce and communicate the value of this one-on-one relationship. I agree. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think that a few things, going back to the telling, thinking of it as storytelling for Amy, it's like people actually don't want to see photos of other people on your feed. And this is kind of frustrating to me because as a podcaster, like I put photos of other people up all the time and I, but they'll, I get far more likes on photos of me, which I don't love to do, but I've just submitted to it at this point. So really Amy could use photos of herself doing something and then she could communicate about how she works with people in a way that relates to that image. Yes. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So for Amy, I think just to expand on what you're saying, it's like, think of what you have to offer your students. Think of what you love to teach. Think of why, what you're good at and communicate that through all of your storytelling, through all of your content. And I would also argue that thinking about private clients, as you said, yeah, it's not so much that you need volume. It's that you need really, really, really strong word of mouth. Yeah. So asking people who have been studying with you for a while for testimonials can be helpful Yeah. that are specific. And you can also kind of send them like fill in the blank, like, you know, just to get them started. I am the greatest teacher of all time because. (laughs) I mean, but just like kind of get them started and in terms of how to think of how to write something, sometimes people just get stymied. So make it easy for them. If you ask for a testimonial, testimonial, make it really easy for them. I always write mine and then say, will you just sign sign off on it? Yeah, exactly. Just write back okay (laughs) we'll go with that and then lastly i mean she she specifically asked about running ads and it's interesting you and i have not run ads in many 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 years like yeah i mean i don't think it's mostly effective rare it's it's yeah i think for her situation and i'm sure she does this but what what would be almost more effective is just doing local events right like doing the Lululemon store class, community class, or the aloe class, or whatever it is, or like wherever they need, you know, a yoga class done at some kind of event where you can network with people in person, that I think would be more effective. I think this kind of gets us to another part of this landscape, right? And this is something I try to communicate to anyone that will listen, is that the vast majority of yoga teachers are going to make the vast majority of their living by a local community. And the best way to engage a local community is not digital. The best way to engage a local community is through local events and your classes. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that it's wrong to try to engage people digitally around this topic, but probably even more valuable than ads or social media posts is to regularly tell your public class students Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming to class. And just so you know, I teach private classes. So if anyone has anything within their practice that they need a little extra help on, let me know Mm -hmm. and uh, we can set up a time. Now, sometimes studios have privacy or I shouldn't say it's not a privacy issue sometimes, but every private client that I've ever had, and I used to make most of my living on private clients, they have all come from public classes. And I think that this is a place where a lot of your a lot of your students just have no idea that this exists, right? It's like private classes are not 
as built into the cultural psyche of a modern yogi as the, as getting a massages, you know? So to let people know, I feel like there might be some reticence of like, oh man, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm doing a hard sale. You're just letting people know. Yeah. You know? And I think it can be a really valuable I don't think it can be a really valuable strategy. That is the most valuable strategy. I'll say one more thing with it is when you are, when you are generating private clientele from your local community, you are already going through some of the necessary filtering process of maybe developing private clientele that you've never met from a digital world. And that can be a little bit more complicated. I, here's what I mean, which is I would say, especially if I were a woman and I was letting the digital world know that I offered private clients, I think that I that there's some filtering that we need to make sure that we're doing to make sure the private clients that we're generating. Are you talking about like a safety issue? A safety issue. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I hadn't thought of yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if it's, I'm not saying, I don't want to no, go too, too heavy thought. into this, right? Yeah, but yeah. if it's someone, if it's like so-and-so from Tuesday night class, right, right. that's already like a slight vetting mechanism yeah. that the digital landscape is not as good at selecting. I'm good job. You're a dad now. You're uh, thinking about things like this. Oh, I just wouldn't have, th- I wouldn't yes. have thought of that. That's great. Yeah. Okay, next question. Yogi confession. I've never taken a picture of myself in a yoga pose. It I just, haven't either. It just feels awkward to me. And there's so much of that already out there in the social media marketing world. It's hard for it not to feel exhibitionist. Totally. Do you have suggestions for creating content for those of us that feel leery about showcasing our practice slash poses? Is this something we should get over considering the pre- prevalence of this type of content? Or do you have a suggestion on how we can navigate this facet of digital marketing without feeling icky or authentic? I want to make a couple things, uh, my kind of quick couple thoughts, right? Which is there are plenty of photos of me that others have taken uh, doing doing yoga that I've posted. But I've never actually had someone take a picture of me while I was actually doing a yoga practice. So what I mean by that is like, there's never been a camera person taking a picture of me in my own practice. Yeah. But I have done many photo shoots where I'm like, okay, we need to get a photo of this here, right? So I think for me, that's part of a distinction is I, I don't know, I go back and forth, but sometimes thinking I'm very private and other times not thinking, I'm thinking I'm very not private. But my personal yoga practice is actually very private. Mm-hmm. And I've never taken a photo of it and no one's taken a photo of me there. But I recognize that in terms of in digital engagement, seeing me in a yoga pose is like an important part of the thing. 
I think one of the ways to do it, I see people, and one of the people that's coming to mind is both a student and a colleague of mine, Adam Hustler, right? He's incredibly photogenic, but he also does a good job of getting like many photos taken of him that are not these dramatic photos, but it's an interesting setting, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that there's, I, it, it's difficult, but I think there's ways to have yoga photos that, that aren't quite as overtly exhibitionist. Look at how awesome I look in this awesome thing, mm -hmm. but feels more like an organic and interesting snapshots of a moment. Yeah. 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 He does yeah. that very well. Yeah. And there's many I other people say too, but he comes up. If, if, if you want to be on social media, but you're trying to avoid showing yourself, good luck with that. You yeah. actually just have to show yeah. yourself. So, yeah. so whether or not you show yourself, you know, like Adam does a lot in street clothes, like he lives yeah. in London walking down the street or on the subway or whatever, or whether you show yourself in a yoga pose or whether you're talking to the camera, talk, if, if you're comfortable talking to the camera, you could do a lot of just little short talking to the camera things on social media, just decide on how you want to do that and roll those out. But you, if you want to do it, you have to actually show yourself and it's hard. It's, it, you know, for most of us, most people, I don't know if how it will be for younger generations. It might just be totally natural, but this is new, right? Yeah. So it's, it's doesn't feel natural or normal necessarily to constantly be photographing yourself and then talking about things. But again, think of it from the perspective of telling a story you, you just, you're simply sharing your story and part of your story is the visual. Yeah. It's just, it's how the medium is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one or two more lines on this too, which is it's difficult to put into perspective the contemporary social media landscape. You know, I'm going to say something that might sound totally ridiculous, but I think I'm correct, which is that many of the people in, on social media, in Instagram, that have big time followers, the majority of their earning is not coming from teaching yoga. The majority of their earning is coming from being a social media influencer and commissioned postings. So in a lot of ways, the revenue stream for some of the, the, not all of them, but some of the higher profile Instagram people, they're making their living much more through revenue as a model than making their revenue teaching yoga classes and workshops. So for a lot of those, a lot of that community, they still really struggle to, they might have 20,000 likes. They still really struggle to fill a workshop or to fill a teacher training program because the community that is engaging them is often engaging with kind of the beauty or the drama of the aesthetic. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the majority of that community is interested in learning anything from that person. Yeah. Right? And so I think what that does is hopefully for most of us, myself included, that that actually takes some of the pressure off mm -hmm. to, the, to realize that your visual – your visual doesn't have to be the perfect visual 
because you're not mostly a model being compensated to sell a product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're mostly a teacher that is using the visual to highlight the story to get people interested in your content as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't. I don't really don't mean this as a judgment that much of a judgment call, but like the vast majority of people that are producing online Instagram content. They just don't have everything that it takes to be the next yoga ultra model. So we don't have to have that. Yeah, you know, that I, pressure. I was this, I was I saw like a post from Yoga Girl recently. Where, Never heard of her. <laughs> she's so great though. She really keeps yeah, her head yeah, yeah. on straight, you yeah. know. And she was just like, and I don't want there rare. to be any more yoga girls. This is just ridiculous. Like she's like, I'm grateful for this platform for all that it's done, but I kind of see the down. She sees the downsides as well. And I'll say anecdotally to too, Rachel Brayton is one of the very rare exceptions of someone that has kind of a a massive digital presence and can fill a room. Yeah. Anywhere she goes, anytime. Mo- most of the higher profile people on social media, that is just not the case. Yeah. She's she's really remarkable in her kind of ability to to execute on on all levels within this. She's a world. very interesting smart person. She's a very smart person. I'm going to just say one more thing about photographs and photographing yourself. If you're new to doing it and you decide that you are going to do poses, And for me, I actually felt more comfortable doing poses in the beginning than anything else, like than like me drinking a smoothie or, you know, it it just depends on who you are. But for me, just like, oh, a beautiful triangle pose didn't didn't feel that strange. But my suggestion just after many years of doing photo shoots is, you know, to set it up so that you're you're batching your work. So as silly as it sounds, have like three outfits, you know. And clear a space in your house. Make sure the space, there's a, you know, a, a fairly blank wall behind you or, you know, just carefully curate the space so that there, there aren't just random things getting in the lines of your poses or getting in the field of the camera and use as much natural light as possible. If you can, like light that's coming from the side is really helpful and just think of keeping it simple. So simple poses that are just fully framed your whole body. Like don't think about doing croppings as you're taking photos and just kind of set up your camera, have your assistant there with you. She's and um, who I don't think you've ever taken a photo of me in yoga poses. That's not true. Yeah. And then just run through them and then you can kind of do the, um, the editing if you want to do croppings and things like that later. I use PicMonkey. This is not an ad. Just in terms of editing, it's like it's just a an online app that's really great and easy to use. And you can kind of adjust all of the brightness and the whites and look for the whites first. Make your whites really white and then everything will look good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. I want to pick up one more thing before we have another question, which is almost everyone gets bummed out when they see themselves in photographs. I mean, it's just, if you're thinking like, oh my God, this is difficult. I don't like seeing myself or going through this process. Get in line. Yeah. No one does, right? I mean, I I wouldn't say that I would describe the, the majority of like amazing looking yogis as self-confident. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we know plenty where they just go through like internal hell. Yeah. 
And from the outside, you're like, you are amazing at this and, and aesthetically amazing. And, and people seem to like you. you. (laughs) So like, why are you losing it about this? But that's, that's a very common thing. So if you're insecure around it, it's not, it's not an uncommon challenge that, that we all meet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got this big gap between my teeth. And the space between your legs too. I know it's bow legs. You used to always talk about that. You'd come home and be like, my legs look so skinny. That was your thing for a while. <laughs> All right. So let's let's move on to the next question. This is from Tanya. And her question is, what are your tips or suggestions for writing articles and submitting them to online sites like Elephant Journal? A few modules ago, I did a, a how to write and submit a pitch, which I now have to go back into the reaches of my brain to remember all the tips. But, you know, my, my tip first and foremost, if you want to write for anyone is to read that publication, read that publication first. There's nothing more kind of insulting as an editor than to get pitches for things that you have just published, you know, verbatim, you know, or just ideas that are in your magazine over and over and over again. Or things that just don't at all fit. Or things that don't fit within the scope and the the editorial purview of that publication. So write for publications that you actually read and enjoy and write it for a specific either section. Like let's say, you know, if it were for Yoga Journal, you could say that you envisioned it in the home practice section or you envisioned it in the anatomy section or you envision. So you have to actually think through your idea to the point where you kind of understand where it would fit within the publication. For something like Elephant Journal, I I haven't looked at Elephant Journal in a long time, but for online publications, it tends to be a little broader, a a little more. They're still going to have their subheads. They're still going to have some. And, And they have like a they'll have a feeling tone, like a point of view right. that that you'll get to know that you'll either think like, oh, this like really controversial point of view that I have is perfect for Elephant Journal. Right, 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 right. Might not be perfect for Yoga Journal. And then I, I also say, keep your pitches short. So just think of being as polite as possible. You don't know these people that you're reaching out to. Don't write the whole article before you submit. Don't submit the whole article to them. They don't have time to read everyone's whole article. Yeah. So, you know, think of three to four sentences for your pitch. If you can't convey your idea in three to four sentences, keep talking it through with a friend until you've really got the idea honed and you can express it in a very succinct way. The only thing I want to add to this is with digital, we all have to remember that for better and a lot for worse, websites have a need for constant refreshment, refreshing of content. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say it's easy to pitch digital. It's, it's, I I would start with digital before print. Yeah. To pitch digital than it is to start to do print. Yeah. I think it's a good idea to start with digital, even if you have a dream of, you know, doing print. And then if they get to know you in that setting, (laughs) I know, right. Think of forming a relationship with whoever you're pitching. Like you're just trying to form a working relationship. And also remember like the content publisher they need good stuff. Mm-hmm. They need constant refreshing and new stuff. So you got to put yourself out there. 
you know, you got to really think like exactly what you're saying. Like, oh, I really resonate with this particular website and this particular column or this columnist. And I think that I, I have some access to this. So boom. Mm -hmm. And be as confident and comfortable with it as you can. And I know from the experience of working with Laura Burkhart, I know that Laura started to, to really pitch online content a lot. And now there's someone, she's someone that Yoga Journal like has, they want her right. to keep doing stuff because she does good stuff and yeah. she's reliable. So these companies, because they have to, they don't have to turn out six magazines and a SIP every year. They need new daily stuff. Yep. And then they need daily stuff to send out in their email. So it's it's a good opening if you work hard to get an opening. You will tend to prove yourself really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And having, um, like I said, I think what Laura does so well, you know, I'm sure she approached it the first time she wrote for them. I'm sure she was really flexible in terms of edits. I'm sure she, you know, delivered on time. I'm sure she wrote to their specification and I'm sure she treated them politely and like she was forming a relationship. So editors want to have relationships with good writers because you, like you said, you need to be constantly assigning. So you want to have people on your list that, that, you know, can deliver what you need. So think of it as a relationship. I think the last thing I'll put into is editors are on a pretty high amount of stress. So that's reaffirming the things you said earlier about have kind of a clarity about the, not just what you want to write about, but the tone and the, the perspective of the institution itself and try to create content that you feel like is applicable to that editorial process or else the editors just, they don't have time yeah. to deal with that. And you, they're just... It's not going to to work. I still have guilt about the many, many people who I probably never even responded to who pitched me ideas. So don't feel hurt if you don't get a response right away or if you don't get a response. Do check in in a week and you can say something like, I just wanted to check in. I'm thinking about pitching this elsewhere. Is there anyone else I could send my pitch to or do you have any feedback? So definitely follow up and check in in a week or two. Get a bot to automate <laughs> every time what's wrong with you what's wrong they with me open why their are you Facebook, not yes. they get an, a message yeah 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 find their find their cell phone number to start <laughs> texting <laughs> do we have more we have one more one more let's do it yeah okay my life circumstances are such that i move every one to two years my husband is in the army so our family moves frequently and often to locations where there's yoga but it's not so much a part of the culture my previous work experience is as a speech-language pathologist in a school setting, so I have next to no knowledge of marketing or anything related to it. I was wondering how I can maintain continuity and get exposure in new places when there's pretty quick turnaround before we move again. I get good feedback from my students, and several have suggested offering online classes, but I'm not sure how to even get started with that. Is there some sort of online platform and equipment you could recommend? YouTube. If I had it to do over again 10 years ago, we would have started on YouTube because YouTube really operates like a search engine. There are ways that you can figure out what people are searching for on YouTube for your in your subject matter and that where there's not a lot of content. So there are ways that you can create content that's that's needed on YouTube. I think this is a tough one. 
I think this is a challenging situation because here's the thing is no matter where you are, like there aren't that many people that are in my public classes that were in my public classes five to 10 years ago, but there are, but there are a lot of people that have been in my public classes that have been there for the last one to three years. There are natural life cycles and turnover in a student base regardless. So even if you are in a single place for a long period of time, elements within your approach to teaching and also factors within other people's lives, people are going to come and go. So there's always going to be a fair amount of turnover. But being in a place for a year and a half, then you have more finite turnover because it takes a while to establish the relationships and then those relationships may be winding down. So I would look at this from the perspective of of kind of what I'm hearing, which is about continuity, right? So I would think about this from two different perspectives, which is, let's say I'm going to be in three different locations over the course of six years, but I have students in each one of those locations that might want to continue to practice with me. The best way to do that is with online classes, in which case I'm using those online classes to continue to teach the students that I've already had exposure to, but I'm not trying to develop online classes to get people that I don't already know, Mm -hmm. right? So in that case, YouTube would be a really simple way to maintain that continuity. I would actually say in that case, I would do something like Namaste. That was going to be my my next question if you. So if you are going to target students who you already know and who you think would like to practice with you online, I would use a subscription service where they you offer a monthly subscription and they and they know that they're going to get x number of classes per month and one live class per month let's say and channel it that way right. if if the continuity is a is for her about maintaining contact with those students i would suggest something like namastream if the continuity is for her to be able to keep teaching and like feeling in her teaching and feeling like she's offering something but she doesn't necessarily want to make money from it right away, at least I would say YouTube. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to circle back to and ask you about Namastream. There's probably other services out there. Yeah, there are. I mean, I I, I say Namastream because because you use them and I I like them. Yeah. 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 So that platform has worked well for you because that's what you do digital courses on. Yes. I, it has worked really well and I, I like them. I, I chose them because they're a woman owned business and they're very responsive and they sort of specialize in the yoga and wellness profession. So I found them to be great. Yeah. I think the last thing on this is monetizing the digital landscape is still more difficult and rare than we tend to think it is. And where there tends- well, it's just, It requires a lot of perseverance and dedication, yes. just like anything else. Yes. And oftentimes the revenue stream is not people purchasing the product, but- on sponsorships, on ads. That becomes something that you as a yoga teacher have to have to sit with and figure out as, am I mostly trying to be compensated by people that want to purchase my content? Or am I mostly being compensated by generating the numbers of engagements that now third parties are going to pay me? Those are both possible models. 
The model that I have always been on is being paid directly by the parties, not through... You mean through not through like ads or sponsorships? Right. Yeah. And, right. But we, I think we, as, a, as the teacher, you want to know the difference. Sure. And then you want to figure out maybe what your personality, what your look, what your appeal, what your refresh rate, what your amount of engagement with is going to lend itself to. Mm -hmm. Do you have the factors that is likely to lend itself to developing a, a much more mass audience and therefore being paid by third-party sponsorships and ads? Or do you have a different kind of appeal where it might not be as large in terms of numbers – but it's a smaller group of very dedicated people that are willing to pay a dollar sum for a subscription model. Right. And so that that's kind of what you'll have to settle on. I will say for me personally that if I wasn't happy and content in the world in the in the digital world that I'm in, I would look down the individual subscription rate because I think generating the mass numbers to get third-person ads is is pr probably really challenging. Yeah, I think at this point. At the, exactly, at this point. at this point. But that's not to say it can't be done. I'm not saying it can't be done. <laughs> but we want to kind of sit, yeah. sit with both models and then, and then actually what it takes to build into those models. I think probably for, I think probably, well, I don't know. I, don't I think know. you have to be very prolific with your content to develop enough content and then enough of a following and enough engagement to to have third party ads and sponsorships. And yes. I do it for the podcast through a network that does all the selling for me and all the, you know, hustling for me. And it still doesn't pay that well. Sorry, no. And it's not their fault. It's it's that I'm not a massive, 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 massive uh publishing. 30 million daily downloads. <laughs> but YouTube also, is there is a way that, I mean, there's a way to si sign into their ad program where the ads are sold for you. So you're not having to, if you did it through YouTube, it, you can either do subscription or you can do sponsorship. And we don't know much more than that because we don't use them. So, no. yeah. All right. Are we good? Um, it's Friday evening at 526. I'm ready to call it a day. All right. Perfect timing. All right. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have questions that you want to submit to us, you can send them to support at jasonyoga.com. And I tend to compile them together. And then we sort of parse through them and plan seasons around them. So feel free to send them my way. And I apologize in advance if we don't answer them right away, but we do try to answer almost all the questions over time. If you are enjoying the podcast and you want to share it on social media or with a friend by word of mouth, or leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, I would just be so grateful for that. Thanks so much. And until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs>